It's interesting listening to Tom's message last week on fathers. And as I'm preparing for this message, you start to realize how consistent God is, how consistent his message is, how it never changes in thousands of years. In going through this, I'd like to, I'd like to encourage you guys to go to the YouTube channel, watch Tom's message from last week, and compare it to what we talk about to today. Um, it is amazing how Tom's analogies to fathers and his message through 1 John resonates so deeply with what Gideon's about to go through. So to give you a quick recap of last week, in our recap of last week, heroes come in difficult times. You don't get to be a hero when things are easy. You become a hero when things are difficult. People are always asking, too, is it really God who is challenging me in this moment? Is it you, God? We see Gideon cry out, basically asking that question is, God, prove it's really you asking me to do this thing. And God gives him a miracle, which is amazing. Burns up 60 pounds of food in a second. But the most important part of Gideon is at no point does he say No. He is faithful to reply to God. And this, last week, was basically an introduction to Gideon. And in the moment when God meets Gideon, he says, he basically welcomes him, or he he greets him as a mighty man of valor. And Gideon basically does this. No, not me. Me? Not me. No, you got to be kidding. Gideon is not yet a mighty man of valor. And this is where Gideon begins his journey toward being a mighty man of valor. Let's go to verse 22 and 23 in Judges 6. I actually have an analog Bible, because if you saw that TV screen back there right now, you'd all be like, there's no way he can read that. Now Gideon, right. We're not going to even try. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. The mighty man of valor's response to seeing God is, Oh my gosh, we're all going to die. Doesn't sound entirely valorous, does it? But this is a turning point for Gideon. He realizes that God is calling him to this task. I want to note to you guys, the reason that you serve God is because you've been called. There's a danger in me saying you have been called because you guys all think, oh, this is I have been corporately called. You can mean you guys as a group. But that isn't the case. You personally have been called. Look at Gideon's reply in seeing what God has asked him to do. It's still not no. Gideon has stalled. Gideon has tried to put this off. Gideon has tried to get out of it. But he hasn't said no. I want to encourage you guys, get in the game. 
even if your initial response is, ah, get in the game. Be part of God's greater glory. Be part of God's plan. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abizarites. So we just found out we're in Ophrah. <clears throat> Ophrah, put up, that, put up that map, would you, Marilyn? There you go. Skip past that one. Keep going. There it is. Ophrah and the Abizarites. So click the button there, Marilyn. Oh, oh. Oh, we're going to circle it. Give it two seconds. Apparently, we're not going to circle it. Ophrah is in the middle of Israel. Can't quite see it, but it's just south of the Sea of Galilee. See a little city called Endor and one right below called Ophrah. We are in the middle of Israel. This should be the safest place you could be as an Israelite at that point in time absolute safest place. You are smacked out of in the middle of the country. And I want to note to you that the enemy is not going to make it easy. The enemy at this point in our lives, you don't have to worry about being killed by roving bands of marauders, but the enemy gives you ways out. And trust me when I say they're familiar to me and my family, oh, we got sports. Oh, we got this event we got to go to. Oh, we got this thing. And none of them are necessarily bad. Unless they prevent you from serving God. Next, the Abizarites. There they are. The Abizarites are basically the clampets of the old world. <laughs> they are a clan that Gideon has described as the weakest clan in the weakest tribe. So essentially, God has decided, I'm going to use a weak hick group of farmers to free Israel. Why? Because God doesn't choose movie heroes. Quick dig on Tom. Love you, Tom. He likes to reference movies all the time. But God never chooses movie heroes. It's never the big, the powerful, the bold, the strong. No. God doesn't want Iron Man or the Hulk or Captain America. God wants the Clampets. God wants you, not necessarily that you're the Clampets, maybe you are, but that's who God wants. God wants boring, unamazing people to enact his will. Gideon is that person up until the moment he says yes. He is a boring, unamazing person who is beating wheat inside of a wine press. Until he says yes. And the reason why is God wants to show us how he can make us heroes. If you make yourself a hero, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But God wants to make you the hero. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock 
in their proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So God comes in with a heavy dose of irony. Marilyn, shoot to that next, that next slide with the pictures. All right, so up here. <clears throat> see, for you guys. Okay, it is. To the left, you see that golden bull, right? That's the altar of Baal. I love it when God is ironic. Let's just say God maybe even was sarcastic. God tells Gideon, hey, take a bull and pull down the altar of a bull. Right? You can see there's actually an altar that they found of, um, of Baal. And that's to the right. And I, you guys can't, maybe you guys can't quite make it out, but there's a little thing that does this. And inside there is the image of a bull. So God uses a bull to destroy the altar of the bull. And at the same time, um, <laughs> you can see the statue in the, middle of the, uh, in the middle of the screen. That is a pole of Asherah, which I have to unfortunately say the word phallus on the stage. But that is what it is. It is the giant phallic symbol in the middle of town that everybody's worshiping at. How uncomfortable is that? But consider that God has to instruct someone, hey, that's not a great thing to have in the center of town. Why don't you knock that down for me and get rid of that? Because up to that point, everybody's just like, yeah, I guess we'll keep it there. It's nice. And you guys laugh. But imagine the craziest part being, where are we in life today? If San Juan suddenly erected an Asherah pole in the middle of town and said, this is great and wonderful, we should accept it. There are a lot of people that would be like, this is awesome. I think this is great. We should definitely keep that in the middle of town. What are the odds that we won't have to be figurative Gideons, but actual Gideons who go out and say, no, we're not going to worship at this idol. And actually having it up and even looking at it is inappropriate. We're getting rid of it. <clears throat> so Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Woo! Nice job, Gideon. Gideon, mighty man of valor. Marches into town, knocks down the altar, destroys the giant fowls, and makes a new altar to God in broad nighttime. And tells his servants boldly, shh, don't let anybody hear you. Where's the mighty man of valor? That's what we were told we were getting. That's what God said. I want the mighty man of valor. But consider, in this moment, does God chastise Gideon and say, what the heck, man, come on. Let's get this done. You're a hero. Let's, let's do this in the middle of the day. Make everybody angry. No. God doesn't appear, appear to give a wit. Because again, God doesn't want movie heroes. God is perfectly okay with the fact that there's not a climactic public scene of tearing down the altar. God just wants Gideon to obey. God's not asking you to be a movie star hero. He's not asking you to get up on stage. He's not asking you to do things publicly. 
He's just asking you to be part of his story. He doesn't need William Wallace screaming freedom. He doesn't need Doc Holliday's great one-liners. He doesn't need Chuck Norris beating up people, 47 people at a time. God's focused on saving you. Not all of you, but you individually. God is focused on you. He wants your service. He doesn't need public displays. He needs you in quiet, solitary moments. After my last message, Pat Mitchell lamented to me that she couldn't do more. She couldn't serve more. Why would Pat lament that? Some of you might say, well, maybe Pat feels guilty. I don't think so. Pat knows the glory of serving. Pat understands that the person who is blessed through serving is Pat. Pat is, though, at the end of her race. Pat firmly grasps the baton of service. And Pat, probably in some ways begrudgingly, but also hopefully, is looking for the person to pass the baton onto. And don't think if you're younger that you are somehow spared from having to serve. Oh, no. Esteban Lucas, are the Johnsons here? I don't see him here. I see the Johnsons, but not their sons. Oh, but I see Ben and Luke. Ben, Luke, are you signed up for VBS? Lead teams? I will tell you that one of the best parts of watching people serve is we were coming in today and Jake was like, oh no, they've set up. Because Jake didn't get to help set up. Jake's been telling a friend of his, Noah Ardunia, you got to serve. you got to serve. It's the best. you got to serve. It's the best. It's the best. They like to be a team leader. It's the best. The VBS. Now, I know Jake's going to come home every day and lament how difficult it is to lead his team. And then Sam's going to come back, and Sam's going to say, no, no, it was much harder for me. My team is the worst. Sam's going to be like, oh, no. And Sarah's like, you guys don't even know. There's going to be that. Going back and forth, my surface was harder. No, my surface was harder. But every year, the kids are ecstatic to lead smaller kids. Estella, you still need leaders? Ben Luke? (laughs) Service isn't about the people you're serving. I mean, it is, and we'll see that here in two seconds. Service is about you. Pat laments her inability to do everything she wants because Pat is blessed in her service. Thank you, Pat. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image was beside it, and it was cut down. And the second bowl was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. 
because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. So let's say San Juan puts up that giant phallic symbol in the middle of town and you decide to take it down. What do you think is going to happen? Is everybody in town going to be like, thank goodness, who decided to put that thing up? What do you think will happen today if you publicly decried debauchery or defied the people's demands that you celebrate sin? What does happen to us when we do that? Are we celebrated? No. And if you look in uh, 1 John 3, you'll find that God even says, hey, you're going to be hated and found out for your beliefs and what you value. This isn't going to be an easy trip for you. God doesn't promise you ease in serving, but he still asks you to serve. People hate to be reminded or deprived, for that matter, of their sin to the point that they are ready to murder someone for depriving them of the, of the image they had worshipped that is literally requiring all their wealth of them, that is causing the destruction of their homeland. But they want it so badly they're willing to kill people that mess with it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by mourning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jeroboam, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. An unlikely hero appears in the mix. A politician. Those usually don't go our way. It's Joash, the the wishy-washy leader of convenience and conveniently the father of Gideon. And he basically tells the people of the town, hey, Baal can take his altar and shove it. Don't touch my kid. You touch my kid, I touch you. The reason this is important, a couple minutes ago I said, service isn't about the people that you're serving There's not an entire truth to that. It is about the people you're serving. Consider that Joash finally comes around and does the right thing. This is Joash's altar. He's likely the leader of this town. This is his altar. He has been defying God now for at least seven years. But God doesn't give up on Joash. And think about the fact that Gideon has a hand in converting his father. Your service affects other people. The good news for Joash is because God is constantly after him, Joash gets second chance after second chance after second chance. Too often people say, oh, you don't know the things I've done. I'm a horrible person. I can't possibly serve. No. The past is the past. Certainly we don't want you to repeat it. And the best way not to is to start serving, is to participate. 
God gives others a chance at redemption through your service. Your service gives people a chance at redemption because that is God's plan. God doesn't come down and like, boop, 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 boop. God uses you when you say yes to do the boop, 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 boop. You get to be the hands and feet of God. What better gift is there to you? Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Now, it doesn't say it yet. It's going to in a couple more verses. But this is an army of 135,000 people. 135,000 people. That's more people that are in Saddleback Church today. But not by much. Word has gotten out, and the enemies of the Lord have said, oh my gosh, we got to align against all these people. Now at this point, it's a town. We don't have this big uprising yet. It's a small town, but the army's like, oh no, we're going to stop this now. Ironically, they're in a valley called Jezreel. And which you guys, most, I didn't know until I did this study. Jezreel has another smaller valley in it called Megiddo, which is where we get Armageddon from. So again, God, funny irony. <clears throat> so this army of 135,000 people comes and encamps and is ready to attack Gideon, who has knocked down this altar. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. And he also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. God's Spirit moves through the people. And the Clampett clan has been enabled by the Spirit to gather together 32,000 people. Do you think Billy Graham ever thought to himself, ha, I'm going to go out, I'm going to fill some stadiums with people. I bet you he didn't. But I know that Billy Graham, through his testimony, he was certain that God could fill stadiums with thousands of people. And thank goodness Billy Graham took the faithful step forward. Because if he hadn't, it's unlikely Dave would have been saved. And if Dave isn't saved, it's unlikely that, that Joyce and Tom go to church. And if Joyce and Tom don't go to church, where are we without a pastor? All because Billy Graham decided to take the step forward and participate. God can do amazing things through you. We don't necessarily do amazing things by ourselves. God does amazing things through you. If you'll just take the first step. You are chosen to participate in his work. You corporately, but you individually are chosen to participate in God's work. Let that sink in for just one minute. Now imagine how excited Gideon is to be part at the center 
of this change. So Gideon said to God, uh, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Ah, come on, Gideon. Gideon doesn't appear to be all that excited. Hey, Gideon. Hey, God. I know that, um, you know, you, you did that miracle in front of me, and I know that it was you, and I know that you saved me from the angry mob and all these amazing things, uh, but that four-to-one odds still has me a little bit nervous. But consider the imagery that Gideon gives us here. <clears throat> the fleece is on the threshing floor. The thing that is a symbol of Gideon's bondage to the Midianites. Now consider that the Bible is God-breathed. God wrote the book through people. But God wrote the book. And God chooses to include this imagery. He chooses to show that his heroes lack faith. Because he knows that all of you and me lack faith. The heroes of the Bible aren't superheroes. They're weak. They're pathetic. They're unamazing. And God changes them. So what happens? Does God get angry and go, gosh, not again. What's with you people? No. And it was so, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. I had not considered this until last night. Gideon gets the fleece. Hey, when you pick up fleece that's filled with water, not that I've ever actually picked up fleece, but when I pick up a sponge that's full of water, do I know right away it's full of water? Yeah, you can feel it. (laughs) That's not good enough for Gideon, though. He's like, well... What if it's just damp? What if if it was just the morning dew? He has to wring out the fleece into a bowl of water to prove to himself that it was actually God. Awesome. And God doesn't come back and say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you wringing out the fleece? Clearly it's wet. What's going on? Let's get this thing done. Which was, I'm sure God is feeling like, okay, we did it. Let's go. And Gideon Mighty man of valor is like, that was awesome, God. Hold on one more second. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew all on all the ground. Thank goodness for God's patience. God realizes in Gideon's heart he wants to serve. But everything surrounding him has him scared to death. But not to the point that he'll say no. I will give you a final warning, though. Kind of a preview to the next message. 
If you test God, he may test you. Be careful what you ask for. If you ask for clarity, as Gideon does, God is going to soak you in clarity. So finally, I dare you. Tom did this whole series on I dare you. So I dare you. I dare you to participate in God's works. I dare you to participate in God's work. Marilyn, throw up those slides for me. We get caught up sometimes in, hey, it's, it's church where we have to participate. That's where we participate. That's not always the case. Sometimes you participate just in your day-to-day life with people that you meet. Sometimes you participate with your family. Sometimes you participate in God's work um, with your kids. Sometimes it's other people's kids that you're serving. But what I can tell you right now is that we need people to participate in church. We need people in youth group. We need people in VBS. Throw up those announcements if you can, if they're there. They may not be. God needs his people to participate. There we go. If you're willing to help for one or two days in VBS, please let us tell and know. You have a chance to change kids' lives. I know kids are coming that aren't Christians. You may help them find a truth because God is very clear. Faith of a child. That's all you need. Best time to catch them is right now while they're kids. Maybe the only time we get to catch them. At our church, we are grounded in the idea that our justification, our entrance into heaven is through faith alone. We just need you, God, no, not we. God just wants you, just asks you to believe in Christ for the redemption, for your redemption, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's it. That's how you get into heaven. But what's the point of having that faith if you're not doing something with it? If you're not sharing you go into James and other portions of the Bible, God is illustrating, hey, having that faith but not doing anything is useless. That faith might as well be dead. The best part of this is if you participate, you get the greatest participation trophy ever. You get eternal rewards, things that will never wilt, never die, never go away, never be stolen, They are yours for eternity if you participate. Dear Lord, we thank you for the family that is church. We thank you for the Christian community, Lord. But most of all, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to participate in your plan. To take part in the glories that you create. 
Lord, we thank you for heroes like Pat Mitchell, like Billy Graham, people that you lift up, people that you glorify, Father, people that are humble servants at heart, but become mighty warriors through your hand, through your will. Lord, I pray for those people here with us, our members of our family here, Lord, in this church. I pray for those that have not yet found their place, Father, not yet found their chance to participate, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would reach out to them, Father, that you would give them their wet fleece, that they would see your calling, Father, that they would listen to that whisper in their head, Father, that's you asking them to serve. I pray that they would take that first step, that they would not say no, Lord. I pray for those that are ministering to people that they know outside of church, Father, that you would be with them, that you would raise them up, that you would protect them in times of danger, Father, that you would give them boldness when they feel weak, Lord. Help us all to do a better job participating, Father, in your family, in your works, in your glory that we pray.